0: Thank you for that reading of the words. Some of you are totally confused right now. It's okay. This will be a good service. How good are you at remembering? How good are you at remembering? And not just like... Remembering to turn off the lights when you walk out the door or remembering to text someone back after they have texted you. But like, how good are you at remembering and looking back? Remembering things that have happened over the course of your life. Some, some good, some bad, some maybe you don't want to remember. Remember. When it comes to short-term memory, my husband can attest to the fact that I'm not so great. Uh, Multiple things that he asks me are responded with the phrase, I forgot. Did you put the clothes in the dryer like I asked you? I forgot. Where did you put the keys? I forgot. Did you send the Father's Day cards that we bought Again, I forgot. Apologies to my dad because I forget every single year. But when it comes to looking back, looking back at the course of my life, I tend to have a pretty good long-term memory. Maybe it's hereditary or maybe it's because I'm kind of a visual person, but I, I can even pinpoint my very first memory, talking with my mom, thinking through this, was from around the age of nine months old, younger than a year old, I've talked with my mom and I've said, like, this is what I, I remember seeing, this is the house, I, I picture it, and I describe it to her, and she says, yeah, sure enough, that's, you were less than a year old at that point, point.'" and I remember sitting on the floor, and, and sitting kind of in, in front of a window with like a floor-to-ceiling kind of window, and, and seeing the light coming in. No one else was around. And I I remember the light coming through the window and watching the dust in the window just kind of floating there. And I was mesmerized just watching these little dust particles dancing around. And there's no photographic evidence of Jessica watching the dust. It's just me remembering that. I remember that very first memory in my life. I remember the tree in our backyard in Germany, where we lived, and and it had this branch that stretched out from the trunk, and it was covered in thorns. And my brother and his friends used to kind of shimmy across it and try to miss the thorns and not poke their hands, and he would never let me try, because if, if I tried and succeeded getting across the branch, he would have to let me into his unofficial little cool club. But I remember... The day we were moving from that house, I ran out to the backyard and I shimmied across that branch just so I could know that I could do it, just to prove it to myself. I remember that. I remember the smell of Christmas Eve every year growing up with my family, the candles that my mom would light, and the smell of hot Tea, as we'd sit down and have dessert every year, no matter where we were. I remember the first time I lost someone I loved, and how I kept the last cards she had sent me for my birthday, and I carried it around with me. And I remember the way that it still kind of smelt like her perfume. I remember sitting in school, in middle school, and I had this sudden feeling of dread and worry and sorrow because we had just found out maybe the day before that my dad was going to be deployed again. I remember these things. See, memories have a way of, of sticking with us, don't they? Psalm 105 is a practice in remembering. For the Jewish people, this psalm was a way of, of calling to mind the history of their people the things that God had done in their past, the the idea of remembering for them was incredibly valuable because it helped them call to mind what it was that made them distinct as a people group and not forget what God had done that made them distinct. Remembering was and really still is a valuable part of their culture. See, in Jewish culture, the festivals and the feasts and holidays are uniquely poised around calling to mind these different events of things that God has done in their history. Their time spent in the wilderness is celebrated each year through the Feast of Booths, where they build an actual structure with no kind of roof to remind themselves of the unstable structures and tents that they lived in. When they were in the wilderness or think about the feast of Passover that they celebrate every year, which is where they remember that God literally passed over the homes that had painted blood on the door frames and he spared their firstborn child. See, these feasts are steeped in rich tradition, even down to the foods that are eaten and the words that are spoken around the table during the celebration of these different holidays. And so as reading through and and singing through Psalm 105 is a way to call to mind the history of the Jewish people, really of, of Jesus and his people. And it would open up a door just like stories do, to be able to share those stories and memories with their kids and to teach them. And while these stories are particular and unique to the Jewish people, they also are a part of our story as Christians, our history, because the God who guided Abraham and who spoke to Joseph and Moses is the same God that we worship today. He hasn't changed, and he never will. And so this morning, we're going to read through Psalm 105. In fact, if you have your Bibles with you, this is going to be a great Sunday to open that up to Psalm 105 and follow along. And Psalm 105 prompts us to remember how this unchanging God has shown up not just in the past, but in our own lives. And this remembering calls to mind God's goodness and his faithfulness. So this morning, we're going to take a walk down memory lane to recall and reflect on what God has done in your life as we journey through this psalm together. And again, we've said it. Some of you are maybe nervous about this. This is going to be a little different message than maybe what you've heard. But I just want to encourage you to, to let yourself embrace a little bit of different and open yourself up to God's direction as we practice the act of remembering. So Psalm 105 Starting in verse 7. He is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. He always stands by his covenant, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. This is the covenant he made with Abraham and the oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree and to the people of Israel as a never-ending covenant. I will give you the land of Canaan as your special possession. Think about this. What kind of God would make a covenant, a promise to people? What kind of God would do that? I mean... When we make a promise to someone, what we're essentially saying is we are bonding ourselves to the person that we're making that promise to and, and indebting ourselves to them, inviting them to keep us accountable for whatever it is that we're promising. For those of you who are or have been married, isn't that what a covenant is? Right? A, a vow. We are making a promise to another person and allowing them to make sure that we follow through on that promise. One of the joys of being a part of a body of believers, like we are here at Lakeview, is that there's so many different people across this room, and we get to celebrate and remember with those who have made a promise like this, that reflects the promise God has made to his people. We see a beautiful example of this in in the enduring promises that are kept through marriage vows. And and when we see that as a church body, we get to celebrate it. Yesterday, we have a couple in our church body who celebrated 50 years of marriage. And so when we see that, we want to celebrate that because it, it helps us remember faithfulness. And so Don and Chris Osborne, congratulations to 50 years of marriage. In fact, if you guys would just stand. And we just want to celebrate with you uh, this 50 years of marriage and this faithful covenant. And so if you guys would, let's just give them a round of applause. We're just giving them a gift to just say thank you for demonstrating this example of faithfulness to us. Because this is a promise A covenant that has been kept. For 50 years, this promise has been kept. And these human examples that we get to celebrate, that we get to see, remind us. And they're beautiful. They're inspiring. But how much more the covenants that God makes to his people. How much more the promises of a God who owes nothing to anyone to place himself in a position that invites us to hold him to his word. See, and God didn't stop at just making promises to people like Abraham or people that we read about in the the Bible. God has promised to be with us. To never leave us or forsake us. He's promised to protect us, to be our strength and our rest when we're weary. He's promised us the hope of heaven that one day he will return to collect his bride, the church. See, these are the promises that God has made to us. Because he loves us. See, that's why you make a promise, isn't it? Because you care about the person, you love them. God's promises are proof of his deep and incomparable love for us because only a God who deeply loves his people would submit himself to a promise made to them. So I want to invite you to reflect on some of these promises that he has made to us in Scripture. The things that, because of his great love, he has willingly indebted himself to us for. And so, in just a moment, you'll see some of these promises come across the screen. And I want you to just sit in in silence and reflect on these promises. Read through them. Let them wash over you. And maybe even spend a moment of silent reflection, praying, and holding God accountable to these promises that he has made. Because he is faithful to follow through. So just read through these promises and call to mind that God is faithful. I just want to read this last one? The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. God is the God of the promises. Psalm 105, picking up in verse 12. He said this when they were few in number, a tiny group of strangers in Canaan. They wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another, yet he did not let anyone oppress them. He warned kings on their behalf, do not touch my chosen people and do not hurt my prophets. Being a stranger in a foreign land can be a little bit terrifying, but being a stranger in a foreign land, having left the only home you've ever known, with no idea where you're actually going, with your entire life packed into what you can carry, and surrounded by nations who at any moment could attack you and destroy not only your entire family line, but your entire people group, that's crippling. That is beyond terrifying. In the playbook of maybe trying to preserve your heritage and start over, this really isn't the wisest move. And yet that's exactly what Abraham did. And God did not let anyone oppress them. God protected Abraham, the father of Israel, and his lineage as they set out for a new home. See, remembering God's protection does a couple things for us. It simultaneously terrifies us and humbles us all at once. Because we remember the danger that could have been and that should terrify us. But then we remember how God, the God of the universe, intervened on our behalf and that should humble us. Because who are we that God, the creator and the sustainer and the ruler of all things, would stretch out his mighty hand from heaven and protect a a tiny group of strangers or, better yet, you and I? And stories of God's protection are one of those things that instantly magnify God's glory. They they shine a, a spotlight on who God is. Because we realize on our own, in our own power, we are hopeless and defenseless. No matter how strong you think you are, and I'm sure there's some strong people in the room, on your own, without God, you are hopeless and defenseless. But God is able to protect No matter if we're starting a new journey into an unknown or walking through the same thing once again over and over, whether we're surrounded by a crowd or we're sitting with nothing but our own thoughts. And because these stories of protection bring God such incredible glory, I'd like us to take a few moments sharing those stories just with the people who are near you. If you're not near anyone, maybe scooch closer so you can talk without having to yell. But spend a couple minutes remembering God's protection in your life. Think back. Remember how God has has intervened. Maybe it was on a road trip or a drive home from work and God protected you. Maybe God protected you from a mental or emotional catastrophe or a bad life choice. Or maybe God has protected your life from finding yourself in the middle of those bad choices. But in just a few sentences, one or two sentences, share those stories of how God has protected you. And remember that on our own, we're hopeless and utterly defenseless. So just a couple minutes, turn to someone near you, one or two sentences. How has God protected you over the course of your life? Just a few more seconds, one or two sentences. God is the God of protection. Amen? Amen. Psalm 105, picking up in verse 16. He called for a famine in the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. Then Pharaoh sent for him and set him free. The ruler of the nation opened his prison door. Joseph was put in charge of all the king's household. He became ruler over all the king's possessions. He could instruct the king's aides as he pleased and teach the king's advisors. Then Israel arrived in Egypt. Jacob lived as a foreigner in the land of Ham. And the Lord multiplied the people of Israel until they became too mighty for their enemies. Then he turned the Egyptians against the Israelites and they plotted against the Lord's servants. Some memories are wonderful and beautiful and, and picturesque, and others are hard to remember. Others are difficult to call to mind. But even in those, we can look back and look for God's hand of provision. We're calling the story of Joseph Joseph we realize just how abundant God's provision was. See, first he provided a leader, Joseph. And you might say, okay, well that's not really providing as much as it was just God turning his story around. But think about it. Without Joseph, without his leadership, everyone in Egypt, in Canaan, Joseph's own family would have starved. But God provided leadership through this person, Joseph, and then after that, he provided seven years of plenty, seven years where they had enough to be able to store the food away so that when the famine hit, they had food to eat, and then when that hit, God provided Joseph wisdom, And how to lead the people in saving up the food. And then after that, he provided, once again, blessing and fruitfulness. All as a part of his plan for his people. And here's the key to God's provision. He was able to provide all of those things because they already belonged to him. All of those things belong to God. They are his to give. And so often we float through our lives aware of the times when we have been in need and the times when we weren't. But do we regularly remember to thank the God who gave it all? See, our culture is is quick to, to congratulate us on the hard work that we have put in to earn the living That we have. Our our culture applauds that. But at the end of the day, we have nothing that God has not given us. We have nothing that God has not given us. That's why when we take our tithes and offerings, we say we are giving back to God because it already belonged to Him. And so I want you to take a moment to remember to think back through your life. I'm not going to ask you to talk to people again. I know that was scary. Um, But if you have a piece of paper, if not, you can just think through in your mind. I want you to silently thank God for what he's provided. Just jot down a list of all the things he's provided in your life. I know there's lots of kids in the room. You should have gotten little kids' kits. You've got some paper and, and stuff to write with. You can make a list too are the things that God has provided for you in your life. And so just take a moment, jot down what has God provided for you. Or just remember, think through, what has God provided? And then just take a moment to thank him. What has God provided? Just take a moment to think about that. God is the God of provision. Psalm 105, starting in verse 26. But the Lord sent his servant Moses along with Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed miraculous signs among the Egyptians and wonders in the land of Ham. The Lord blanketed Egypt in darkness, for they had defied his commands to let his people go. He turned their water into blood, poisoning all the fish. Then frogs overran the land and even invaded the king's bedrooms. When the Lord spoke, flies descended on the Egyptians and gnats swarmed across Egypt. He sent them hail instead of rain and lightning flashed over the land. He ruined their grapevines and fig trees and shattered all the trees. He spoke and hordes of locusts came Young locusts beyond number, they ate up everything green in the land, destroying all the crops in their fields. Then he killed the oldest son in each Egyptian home, the pride and joy of each family. Think back, remember, recall, what is the most powerful thing you've ever witnessed in life? The most powerful thing that instantly made you realize how small and weak you are. Maybe it was a a storm that destroyed everything in its path. Or maybe it's a person whose words and actions and opinions seem to be plastered and revered around every corner. Or maybe it's a mountain whose power is felt in its ability to withstand time and and weather. And, And when you stand at the foot of that mountain and look up, you realize how small you are. See, it's difficult for us to grasp how powerful God is. Because we don't see him like a bolt of lightning across the sky or a snow-topped mountain. We don't hear him the way some figurehead is speaking on TV. But God's power far surpasses any power we could ever imagine. And these plagues that the Egyptians experienced, that the people of Israel are remembering here in this psalm, were visual and felt and humbling reminders of God's power more than any force of nature or any other god. And not only that, but God demonstrated his power over the grave and death itself. See, because he alone is the author of life. He alone holds the power of life and death in his hands. For the people of Israel, this was probably one of those most significant stories that reminded them of that. But for us today, we have a greater reminder of God's power over life and death. We have the cross. We can recall how the God of the universe sent his son to die on the cross, to submit his power and authority to death and then to actually conquer death itself, because death has no hold on him. As a church, one of the ways that we actively remember his power and this act is through what we call communion, a simple reenactment of the supper that Jesus had with his disciples before he died, where we remember what Jesus did on the cross, how he demonstrated both his human and God nature. And so on your way in, you should have received a little cup like this. And if you didn't, just raise your hand and we'll have someone bring one around to you so that you can participate in this part of the service with us. And kids, you can actually participate in this too if you have accepted Jesus as your savior. So if you're a kid and you didn't get one, pop your hand up and we would love to bring one to you as well. But these cups have just two parts, and so we're just going to start with this top part in just a moment. I'll make sure everyone has a cup here. A few more people waiting on a cup. And so if you would, go ahead and just open up that top part. And this first part is the bread. Bread. It reminds us of Christ's body, broken for us. When Jesus was eating with his disciples on the night he was betrayed, he invited them to join in this same simple meal, the cup and the bread. And while for us this is an act of remembrance, for them it was yet to come. They didn't know how Jesus would conquer death, how he would display his power Over the grave, but for us, we eat this in remembrance. This is his body broken for us. Take and eat. After this, Jesus took the cup and he said, This is my blood, which confirms the covenant, the promise. Between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for the sins of many. And he said, Drink of it, all of you. And though they could not have known the power of his blood being spilled so soon after this regular meal, they took the wine, the cup, and they drank. This is my blood poured out for the sins of many. Take and drink. We do this in remembrance of him, his suffering, his sacrifice. And yet for us, it also brings to mind his power over life and death in all creation. God is the God of power. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for setting aside your power for our sake. Use this act of remembrance to fill us today with more of your grace and your power. Lord, we pray this in your name. Amen. Psalm 105, verse 37 and 38. Then the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, loaded with silver and gold, and not one among the tribes of Israel even stumbled. Egypt was glad when they were gone, for they feared them greatly. God is the God of deliverance. He sees us in the midst of our bondage. He hears us when we cry out to him. But not only that, he doesn't leave us there. Take a look at verse 39. The Lord spread a cloud above them as a covering and gave them a great fire to light the darkness. They asked for meat and he sent them quail. He satisfied their hunger with manna, bread from heaven. He split open a rock and water gushed out to form a river through the dry wasteland. For he remembered his sacred promise to his servant Abraham. See, a good God delivers his people, sees them in need, hears their cry for help, and and pulls them out of where they are. But only a great God takes it a step further and provides guidance. Continues to walk with his people the rest of the way. See it's like the difference between a firefighter who pulls someone out of a burning house saves them from that house that's deliverance. And the counselor that that person then continues to meet with to to walk through the trauma of losing everything in a house fire. So that's guidance. God does both of those things. See, deliverance is easy for us to recognize. You were in bondage, and now you're not. God opened the doors that were trapping you, the shackles that were holding you down. But we often forget to recognize God's guidance after that point. And without his guidance, chances are we'd probably wander right back into that bondage. And so where in your life have you seen God's guidance? Think back. Remember with me, do you remember a time where God guided you through a difficult situation, where he guided you towards an answer or a solution, when he he shined a light on a path that was leading you out of darkness and into something new? Right now, just wherever you are, I want you to pause and remember And when that moment pops into your head of how God has provided you guidance, I want you to thank him. Thank him that he's not only a good God, but he is a great God. In fact, when you remember that moment, I want to invite you just to say that. Just say thank you out loud where you're sitting so that across this room we hear these tiny momentary testimonies of God's guidance In your life, just for the next 10, 20 seconds here, think through and say thank you when you remember God's guidance. Thank you. I love the way this Psalm of Remembrance wraps up. How it brings all these stories, all these things that God has done kind of back full circle. It says, God did all these things for. For he remembered his sacred promise to his servant Abraham. God invites us to remember him, his goodness, because he is a God who remembers us. He remembers every promise that was made, every cry for help, every moment of need, everyone who feels unseen or unloved or forgotten. He remembers because he loves us infinitely and never ending, and his goodness is infinite. And never-ending. And so when we step back from this journey through Psalm 105, this journey of remembering, this journey of re-experiencing all that God has done and all that he is, our response is kind of threefold here. First, we experience joy. Verse 43 says, So he brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. When we remember what God has done, when we look back and recall those things to mind, when we take time to actually re-experience it, we're filled with joy. It's like experiencing your favorite book or movie or your favorite food or just your favorite moment in life all over again. But then out of that joy comes two more responses, obedience and praise. He brought his people out of Egypt with joy. He gave them lands and crops. And then, verse 45 says, All this happened. Everything that God did, all this happened so they would follow his decrees and obey his instructions. And then, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God's goodness is never wasted. But if we, in remembering his goodness, do not obey and praise him, we've missed the point. The point of God's goodness is to lead our hearts to obedience and to teach us to praise him. And his goodness overflows out of our praise. And so today, we intentionally flipped the service so that we could close our service with a time of singing praise. Of rejoicing, not because that's just what you do at church, but because we have actually taken time to remember what He has done in our lives. And that remembering seasons our praise with an extra hint of gratitude and joy, because we've actually called to mind why God is worthy of our praise. God is worthy of our praise because he is faithful and he is good and so if you would stand and sing with me as Psalm 105 ends praise the Lord let's sing together